Good morning again. Well, this is kind of a little strange. But to be honest, I'd say it's, it's kind of painful. It feels like everything's changing so fast. But even still, this is an opportunity for us to show the love of Jesus to one another, to those we interact with, and to demonstrate just how strong the bond that unites us as a church and as a church family really is, and how that love, that strength that Jesus has given us extends beyond this building. My goal during this time is to encourage you. As I was thinking about and looking at the reality of what we were facing, I was really struggling to think about what I could talk about in the next few weeks. I was trying to rack my brain, think about, is there someone, is there someone in the Bible who was isolated, who was completely cut off from his church family and people he'd loved and cared about? And as I was anxious over that and really struggling, thinking through what in the world could I say, someone reminded me of Philippians 4, 6 and 7, which says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything or in every situation, by prayer and supplication or or petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God or make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends or surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then as I thought about that, I remembered, well, Paul, the Apostle Paul was in prison when he wrote the letter to the Philippian church, the book of Philippians that we have. He was separated from the people he loved, yet he had joy. His joy was not based on his circumstances, but on his love for Jesus Christ. He was focused on Christ, and that's what gave him joy. Brothers and sisters, this time is difficult. There's no need for us to pretend otherwise. But even now, I would say especially now, We can have joy. God is in control, and He is always with us. Also, at this time, many of us have the gift of time. Now, I know that's not true for all of us. Some are involved in healthcare workers or other essential aspects of the functioning of our society. And so if that's you, we want to be sure that we are praying for you. And we're so thankful for your sacrifice of time and effort that you put in to help us during this season. Thank you. But for many of us, this is a time where we wonder, what exactly are we going to do during this time of social distancing? If I can't go here, if I can't go there, how am I going to use this time? Well, this book of Philippians is not only a book of encouragement and joy, it's also a challenge. It's a challenge for us to grow, to grow more and more like Jesus. Because it is Jesus who is the source of our joy. And any rejoicing or growth that we have can only happen in Him. So friends, let's study the book of Philippians during this time. For today, we'll kind of look over the book as a whole, and we'll learn how we can rejoice together and grow together in Jesus, our joy. Let's pray before we continue. Lord, thank you for this time we have to gather together while not together, but in spirit and look at your word. I pray that our time in the book of Philippians may be an encouragement. Please, God, teach us how we can rejoice together in all circumstances, how we can grow together by your spirit to be more like you, and how our joy should be in you, Jesus. 
I pray, God, that at this moment, all the circumstances, all the distractions will fade so that we can focus on you alone. You may increase. We may know you better during this time. May this time be profitable for us as we grow, but may we know you more, Lord. It's in your name, the name of Jesus, that I pray. Amen. So let's begin studying this book. It will probably be helpful if you have the book of Philippians open in front of you, whether you want to use it on a Bible app or a Bible you have right there. I'm going to be jumping around a lot this week as we go through, so I'll try to bring up some verses on PowerPoint slides, but if you get lost, it's in Philippians, I'll try to make the references clear. This book is a joyful thank you letter. It's very warm and familiar. It's a friendship letter of encouragement. Paul is telling the Philippians, people who lived in this city, Philippi, that knowing Jesus is more important than anything else because God has exalted Jesus. He is the crucified servant with the name above every name. And Paul wants to encourage the Philippians to live out their lives as citizens of a heavenly colony. And that life should be evidenced in their commitment to service to God and in a growing commitment to service to others. He points out a couple examples where they can see this. They can look at Jesus. They can look at his life. They can look at his assistant, Timothy. And he tells them they can even look to one of their own church members, a man named Epaphroditus, who we'll talk about later. In this book, Paul writes about giving generously, living courageously, maintaining unity, being content, seeking humility, serving sacrificially, rejoicing instead of worrying, making peace instead of grumbling, and trusting in Christ's righteousness rather than trying to develop our own. The reason he wrote this book is he wants to thank the Philippian church. He wants to thank them for their generosity. He wants to give them an update of what's going on in his life, prepare them because his assistant Timothy is coming to see them, and he also wants to exhort to teach them to seek unity with one another while they look out for false teachers. It's a very joyful book, but Paul's very aware that his time is running out. This word, this concept of joy or rejoicing, it happens 16 times in the book of Philippians. But in this book, Paul is also longing for the Lord's return, which in it he calls the day of Christ. And he references it multiple times. One big example is in chapter 2, verse 16. He talks about how believers are holding fast to the word of life, So that in the day of Christ, when Christ returns, Paul may be proud that he did not run in vain or labor in vain. The reason Paul had joy is because he was expecting, he was longing for the Lord's return. That's a a longing that we can have as well. Longing for that day when Christ returns and there's no more death, disease, viruses, or anything like that ever again. The letter also has a very strong emphasis on unity unity in the church, and how that only comes from humility and serving others the way Jesus did. And he also talks about righteousness. It's a gift of grace to all believers in Jesus. It causes them to bear fruit and be more like Christ. Well, this book, Philippians, was written by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote along with his assistant, Timothy. Maybe Timothy was copying what Paul said. We're not really sure. When Paul is writing this, he is in prison, probably in the city of Rome, in modern-day Italy, most likely sometime year 60 to 62 AD. 
Now, when I say Paul's in prison, at this time, it's probably similar to a house arrest or honestly, a a quarantine situation like many of us are in. He's in a home and he can't leave that home. He has to stay there. So any communication he has has to be people coming or people writing to him. And that's the only contact he has with the outside world. He's writing to a church in the city of Philippi. It's in modern day Greece. It was actually one of, if not the first churches in the continent of Europe. And it's not a perfect church, but it is a very healthy church. The city it was in, Philippi, it was a commercial city in an area of Greece known as Macedonia. It was on a major trading route. This city was a Roman colony. And what that meant is that everyone who lived in Philippi had Roman citizenship. In that day, it wasn't really where who your parents were or what nation you were in that determined your citizenship. You had to be specially given your citizenship. And, but everyone who was born in this colony was a Roman citizen. And that was a great source of pride for the people in Philippi. And we'll notice as we study through that twice in chapter one, verse 27 and chapter three, verse 20, Paul will use this language of citizenship to remind the people in Philippi, the Christians, that they're not really citizens of Rome or citizens of Philippi. They are first and foremost citizens of heaven. We're actually blessed because we get to read about how this church started back in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and a friend of his named Silas journeyed to this city probably sometime around the year AD 49, 11 to 13 years before he wrote the letter that we're looking at. And this was on their second missionary journey. While they're there, they go, there's no synagogue, there's no place where Jews are worshiping, so they found a place where God worshipers gathered. Verse 13, we read, on the Sabbath day, we, Paul and the people who were with him, went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down, we spoke to the women who had come together. And one woman they meet is named Lydia. So the one who heard us was a woman named Lydia. She was a seller of purple goods and was a worshiper of God. And this seller of purple goods, a very wealthy businesswoman, she becomes the first person who comes to know Christ in Philippi, and she hosts Paul in her home. There's a really beautiful phrase there at the end of verse 14. Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, says, The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. One commentator I read named J.A. Motyer, he put it this way, how beautifully Luke describes Lydia's experience. Did he observe the dawning comprehension in Lydia's face? As if mysteriously and wonderfully, an inner lamp had suddenly been switched on. That's a beautiful description because this here, the Lord opening our hearts to pay attention, that is what happens when we are saved. Our heart is open. We're able to receive truth from God and understand who he is and who Jesus is. So Lydia is one of the first people in Philippi to come to know Jesus. The second person is a demon-possessed girl. We read about her in verses 16 through 18. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. 
And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very hour. (laughs) So this is the second major person who comes to know Christ, is this girl who was a slave and who was demon-possessed. The problem is, though, she did have owners, and those owners are very upset that Paul and Silas removed this demon from her because they can no longer use her then for their fortune-telling and omens. And so they have Paul and Silas thrown in jail for what they've done. And as Paul and Silas are sitting in jail, they're praying, they're singing hymns, and then all of a sudden an earthquake happens and it loosens their bonds. The jailer of the city, when he realizes this, he thinks all the prisoners are gone and he's about to kill himself, but then he's stopped by the apostle Paul. And when the, prisoner, when the jailer sees that this is what has happened, he brought Paul and Silas out of the prison and he said to them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And so this jailer's whole family came to know Christ. So here we have the third major person in this city who's a part of this new church. Now, the next day, Paul is able to get out of prison, and he makes the legal situation right. He wants to make sure that the church is on good footing, that people understand that they're not doing something illegal. He encourages the church, and then he leaves. Now, he visited them at least once more, but he did not spend a lot of time here. And so his church team, this new core group of leaders that he has to start this church, it's one wealthy woman, a former demonic slave girl, and the city jailer. What's so unique about that is these are three people who probably never said a word to each other, never knew each other, would never interact with each other before Paul shared Jesus with them. Now they are united in Christ. And even though this kind of odd beginning and Paul didn't spend a lot of time there, this church became very strong. They financially supported Paul more than any other church. He'll write about that in Philippians over in chapter 4. In another letter, he writes to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians, not once but twice in that letter, he brags about how well the Philippians are supporting him, or the Macedonians as he calls them. And he needed this. Remember, at this time, he was in prison, and to be in prison was a social stigma. It was not somewhere you wanted to be. People wanted to stay away from you. That was the goal. But it was also some time when you needed people to care about you. Unlike today, if you were in prison back in the ancient world, the, the government was not providing your food for you. You had to pay for that yourself or have someone give it to you. You were dependent on others. But this church, this church in Philippi, they remained loyal to Paul. They sent even a member of their church to minister to Paul, a man named Epaphroditus, to go there to encourage Paul and to go out and get things he needed. But when this guy, Epaphroditus, was there, he got sick and he almost died. But fortunately, he did recover. And so what Paul is doing when he writes the letter of Philippians is he's sending Epaphroditus back home and he'll carry this letter to tell the church what is going on. So what is this letter about? Well, we're going to talk about three things that this letter of Philippians is about. The first 
is it's an encouragement to rejoice together, to rejoice together. Remember, Paul is writing from prison, and he's writing to people who were suffering for their faith. He was suffering, they were, and yet his focus is on rejoicing. And I know Paul was suffering because he says so. In chapter 1, verse 8, he writes, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I have to admit, I really resonated with that word this week, that word yearn, because already I'm yearning. I'm longing for us to all be together again. Maybe it's sappy or sentimental or emotional, but the truth is I miss my church family already. And I know Paul did too. But even then, he's still writing with joy because a Christian can be passionate for Christ even in the midst of difficulty. A scholar named Gordon Fee said that joy is how believers who know Christ and whose futures are guaranteed by Christ, joy is how they respond in the context of present difficulties. Joy is, uh, true joy is uniquely Christian response. They can look at, I know Christ, I know where I'm going, and so I can respond differently to what's happening in this world than anyone else. Now, it's not downplaying. It's not that we ignore things that are difficult around us. It's not that we pretend that things are better than they are. This, this is a time of crisis and, and emergency. There's no need for us to pretend otherwise. Paul is in prison. His situation upset him. He missed the Philippians. He says he yearned for them. There was a possibility that he would be executed. But even still, he was in good spirits. In verse 12, he writes that, I want you to know, brothers, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He talks about how the guards around him have come to know Christ, and other believers have now been inspired to share. And so then he says in verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. The gospel was being shared. And brothers and sisters, the gospel is still being shared. It's going out in new and different ways. A kind of encouragement I had from this week is that every other church that I know, every other pastor I know is transitioning to some type of online messages, online connections. People are sharing the gospel more. God's purposes are still going out and in a new kind of energized way in this situation. Unity, joy, and purpose in getting Christ's word out to as many people as possible is happening now. And that's a cause for each of us individually to rejoice, but we can also rejoice together. In Philippians, Paul says in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, even if I'm dying, everything's being stripped away from me, I am glad and rejoice with you all or with all of you. So he says, likewise, or so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Rejoicing is not something that we do alone. It's something we need to share with our church family. 
Near the very end of the letter, Paul again expresses his feelings for the Philippians. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, my brothers, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Or stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Are we doing that in this time? Are we loving one another? Are we longing for each other? Do we find it a joy to be with other believers? I know that whenever this situation ends, I will never again take for granted gathering together to worship with brothers and sisters in Christ. We should love one another, long for one another. And if we do, we need to find ways to encourage our brothers and sisters to stand firm in the Lord. But pastor, we, we can't meet. We can't come to the church right now. How do we do that? We'll find ways to stay connected. As far as I know, the phones still work. Call people, text people, message, email church family, find ways to encourage them, pray for one another, share messages of encouragement. We're not lying to one another. We're acknowledging the hard situation, but we're taking opportunities to bless one another. I'll give you an example of this. This week, uh, I'm not perfect, and I was struggling a lot with the things going on and wondering what we're doing as a church and, and what the future is going to look like. I was having a really hard time. But then a friend of mine called, and this friend was going through a situation even worse than the one that I was in. And I took that opportunity, was in so encouraged to be able to bless that friend and encourage him. It was a true blessing and joy to be able to take my focus off myself and see how can I encourage this brother in Christ. We were able to rejoice together in everything God has done and everything he is doing, even during this time. And what is it that God is doing? Well, he is helping us so that we can grow together, grow together. Whether in this season or you know, hundreds, thousands of years from now, the Lord will return and he will make all things right. But in the meantime, until he returns or until we die, we are to grow in his likeness. Paul wrote that he wanted the church to press on. He says in chapter 3, verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This idea of growing, but pressing on, Paul's sitting in a prison cell. He can't leave his home. He's under quarantine. But he says that he is striving and that the Philippians should strive to make progress, to grow during this time. Paul was there. He was praying for their progress, their, their joy in the faith. At the very beginning of the letter, this is what he prays for. Chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, he says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment or depth of insight, so that you may be able to approve or to discern what is excellent or what is best. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit, the result of the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Look at what he's saying here. He's saying that we should be growing in our love, how we care for one another. We should be growing in our knowledge, what we know about God and his word. And we should be growing in our discernment, in knowing what to do, what is best, and making decisions. 
if nothing else, the past few days, I hope I've shown all of us how much we need to grow in those areas of love, knowledge, and discernment. Paul says that our life should be worthy of what Christ has done for us. Chapter 1, verse 27, he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, that kind of sounds like our situation, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Our lives are to be worthy of Christ, whether we're together or whether we're fall apart. We strive in unity for the sake of God's purposes. This is a time for us to look out for the interest of others. In chapter 2, verse 4, he says, let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. It's a time for us to learn the humility that Christ showed. And that is why we need unity amongst each other. Even when we're not together, we still need that. Chapter 4, verse 2, Paul writes to two women in the church, Yodia, Syntyche, and he tells them to agree in the Lord. He wanted these two women to resolve their differences because we belong to the same family. So if you're far from someone and you know you have some conflict, take the time to, to reach out and resolve those differences. And if you're part of a family and you're all stuck at home together with others, you're going to get on each other's nerves. We need to be willing, committed to resolve those differences and maintain unity in our families and in our church families. But why are we doing this? Why should we grow like this? Well, Paul tells us in chapter 3, verse 10, he says that I may know him, that I may know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection. The reason we grow, the reason we seek to know Jesus more and more is just for that, that we may know him, that we may be molded, our minds may be shaped to be more like his. And when that happens, it changes how we live life. In chapter 4, verse 8, Paul says, finally, brothers, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Will you think about those things? Will you train your mind so that those things, true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, things worthy of praise, that is what you focus on. There's many other things we could focus on, but that, that should be our passion, what we seek after. Let our minds dwell on those areas. So let me ask you, how are you going to grow during this time? If you're one of those, probably many of us, who have the blessing of some more time on your hands, well, what are you going to do with it? I hope this will be a time that you can get into reading the Bible consistently, be able to have quiet time or time with Jesus every day. Maybe it will be an opportunity to read or to listen to a good book, one that helps you to live more Christ-like. Email me if you like some recommendations, and I'll try to send some over to you. 
It's also an opportunity we can pray for those in need, those who are ill, those who are struggling. We can pray for those who do not have time and who have to work extra hours during this season. If you want a real challenge during this time, take the time to memorize Scripture. That's something we don't do very often. Maybe try to memorize some of your favorite verses from the book of Philippians, or or maybe memorize one verse from each chapter. Maybe try to memorize a whole chapter or two chapters. Maybe even try to memorize the whole book of Philippians. If you've ever said, I don't have time to memorize Scripture, well, here's your time. Maybe make it a competition for the family. See, you can memorize more of the book of Philippians. Now, listen to what I'm saying. I'm not telling you that it's wrong to take this time to rest. I'm not telling you it's wrong to watch TV, Netflix, Disney Plus, or or whatever you're doing. Enjoy those things. But also think about how you can use this time for God's glory and how you can grow to be more like Him. We can use this time to rejoice. We can use it to grow because Jesus is our joy. Jesus is our joy. This letter, the book of Philippians, is full of Christ. It is centered on Jesus because He's the one who unites us. He is the one who gives growth. Paul rejoiced in Jesus. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. In chapter 4, verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice, or I will say it again, rejoice. Why should we do that? What is it that makes Jesus so special that we should rejoice in him? Well, in chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, he tells us, He says, indeed, I count everything, everything else as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, that I may be be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Jesus is our joy because he's the one who died to restore us to God. He gives us righteousness. He gives us a right standing with God. Let me ask you if you're watching this, do you have that with God? Are you have a right standing? Do you have a right position before him? Do you have Christ's righteousness, his goodness? Are you trying to get to heaven by what you have done? Or is it because of what Christ has done for you? You cannot earn your way into God's favor and acceptance. It can only be found in Jesus Christ. Now more than ever, this is a time to understand, recognize, do you know him? Do you know Jesus. The way you know him is because of what he has done for us. Because he died, he was buried, he rose again, he paid the penalty for our sin, our rebellion against God. And now the way we can know him is if we repent, if we turn away from that sin, and if we believe and trust in Jesus Christ, depend on him alone, not our own wisdom, not our own understanding, but depend on him a lesson we'll all have to learn during this time. If we are depending on him and turn from sin, then we can have a relationship with him. 
We can have joy in Him, even when everything else seems crazy. That's what believers in Jesus have. They have hope in their joy in Jesus. Because not only did He save us, He is also returning to reign and to rule. In chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, we have what may be one of, if not the earliest Christian hymns. And this is what it tells us. It tells us about Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He was born as a human and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then he says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus has a name above every name. He is the only, the one, the true Lord and Master of this world and of us. And when the day comes that He shows His glory, every other force, every other power, every other person will have to submit and acknowledge that Jesus alone is King. Jesus Christ alone is Lord. Through Jesus, the world will reach its end and its purpose, and we can have joy knowing that is the end. Again, that person, Gordon Fee, said, Christ is our life. Christ is our way of life. Christ is our future. Christ is our joy. Jesus is our joy. Christian, you can rejoice. You can grow in him. I'd encourage you to think about that this week. Talk about it with your family. Maybe you're calling people in your home fellowship group, or maybe you're calling another friend from church. Talk about this. Ask yourselves, how can we rejoice together this week? What is going on that we can rejoice about together? Ask each other, how can we grow together? How can we challenge, encourage one another to grow during this time? And then ask each other, how can we make Jesus our joy? Is there something else that distracts us from him? How can we make him our focus? How can we make Jesus our joy? Because church family, Jesus should be your joy because he alone is worthy. Let's pray one more time. Lord, thank you for this opportunity again we've had to look at your word. Thank you for this book of Philippians, that as Paul was in prison in quarantine, he still had joy in you. I pray as we study it in the coming weeks, it will encourage us. It will inspire us to rejoice together, to grow together, and to remember that Jesus is our joy. God, I pray that we will have the connections, be able to do this, be able to continue studying your word. I pray, though, God, that you will guide us to grow through whatever happens and trust in you. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you during this time. 
the privilege of being able to gather even online, the privilege of a relationship with your son. We did not earn it. It is all by his grace. May he get the glory and praise for it. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.